We have been studying the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing moment when Jesus sat down on a mountainside uh, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and he opened his mouth and he began speaking. And he spoke truth uh, like no one had ever heard before. It was amazing. It absolutely blew them away. And as we get to the second section of uh, this Sermon on the Mount, uh, we come to a part of it where he deals with 12 topics. And uh, the topics shouldn't surprise us too much, uh, but they are uh, listed up here. And you can see we're to the third one, uh, which is divorce. And so uh, these are some of the hot topics of the day. Uh, and certainly as we think about them, uh, they are topics that concern us uh, in the day in which we live. So they shouldn't surprise us too much. Uh, our scripture tonight is going to involve just a couple of verses. But before we read that, I just want to say this is one of those uh, topics that's not very easy. Partly because I don't know a family that has not been touched, uh, some uh, very painfully, uh, by divorce. It was the same thing in the first century as it is uh, in the day in which we live. And we seek very much to be uh, a church of gospel, a church of good news. Uh, when I think about it, I would rather preach on marriage. Uh, the positive side, Jesus uh, came to this head on. And he dealt with uh, this topic uh, at a point where they really very much needed to hear it. So I, I invite you to, to seek the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through his church. Listen carefully uh, as we hear uh, some passages of Scripture that are difficult. Uh, but we're going to dig into them and try to understand some of the things that were going on uh, in the, the undercurrents of the day. So let's uh, give our attention to these two verses. And I think I'll just invite you to stand, if you're here, uh, just a couple of verses as we hear uh, the word of God, Jesus is continuing, he's just been teaching about lust, and he continues on in verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now let's pray. May the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Jesus is hitting these big hard topics. Anger and then lust and now he's diving in on, on uh, divorce. And it's interesting because divorce is not mentioned in what I call the Big Ten. Uh, divorce is not actually expressly forbidden uh, in the Hebrew Scripture. But it is addressed uh, in a, a variety of places in what we call the law, uh, which are the first five books of the Bible. And also the prophet Malachi is probably the most prominent 
uh, passage of scripture in what we call Old Testament. The Old Testament generally treats divorce more as a painful reality. It's not something that is fought against so much as it is this hard thing that exists in life. Uh, And so Jesus uh, addresses it in a similar way. He he talks about it on several occasions, a little bit different each time. And one of them uh, is is the passage that we just read, the short couple of verses. Uh, He was brief in front of this large crowd. Later, he, though, uh, he spoke to the Pharisees and he gave a more in-depth reply. And we're going to look at that as well. He begins with... It was also said, and just remember that all of these topics uh, he was dealing with, they had heard a lot about. Part of it was in the law. Part of it was what was said about the law. And part of it was just stuff that had been said. And we can say that about all of these topics too. I was doing some research this week. I was amazed at the sort of things that were out there, the sort of things that were floating around in the sort of general culture, even the sort of general Christian culture on this topic. It was also said, it's kind of linked back into what we studied last week, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. It was the teaching of the day that uh, if you divorce your wife, all you need to do is give her a certificate and you're okay. And you hear a lot of anomalies in there. It's only talking about men. It's talking about only about the divorcing of wives. And this is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Let me read it to you. When a man takes a wife and marries her, If then he finds no favor, she finds no favor in his eyes. Because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And it goes on and talks a little bit more about that. This one verse was inferred by many to be an allowance for, div- for divorce uh, in the Mosaic law. Uh, you know, we talk sometimes about no-fault divorce. This was her-fault divorce. Yeah. I mean, we, and we start to get a sense of what Jesus may have been upset about or what he may have wanted to concern himself with. This had become the focus of the popular rabbinical teaching of the day. Uh, The husband with a rabbi would draw up something called a get. And it's a strange word. It's sometimes spelled with two T's, G-E-T-T. The plural is getim. So it's, it's a Hebrew word. And it is the certificate of divorce. And all he had to do was draw that up and, and present it to his wife. And she was gone. She was out of there. And they felt like, well, they're sort of being fair about this because if you sent her away without a certificate of divorce, she was in a, in a much worse way. Uh, they reasoned that she would probably uh, need to remarry, so she couldn't remarry without that certificate. And without a certificate of divorce, um, if she didn't have family to go back to, she might be able to go back to family, but she would l- likely become a prostitute. She would live on the streets So they were thinking this is a compassionate sort of thing to say, well, when you divorce your wife, uh, be sure and give her a a certificate of divorce. 
But we hear all kinds of inequity in here, don't we? Nod your head and say amen. Yeah, very much. See, it seems that the practice of divorce in the first century, Judaism, had sunk to a level of legalized adultery. And that's what Jesus is confronting. If a man wanted someone else, for whatever reason, he should just give her this certificate of divorce and he can take another wife. It might be that, well, she's had the babies and now I just she's not appealing to me the way that she once was. Now, that sounds familiar in our day too, but this was first century uh, AD. Um, and it made a mockery of marriage as an institution as it was established by God. And let's just say Jesus had a serious problem with this. Unless we understand that, we won't really understand what he was saying and why he was saying it and how he was saying it. This system that had developed was horribly unjust for women. Uh, they had no rights whatsoever. So we might find ourselves asking the question, how did Judaism get to this place? How did they get from uh, Genesis, early Genesis, the creation of this marvelous thing called marriage and a man shall leave his father and mother and woman, leave her home, the two become one in this marvelous, beautiful thing to this place that's just sort of a mockery of what was there at the beginning. Now, I've told you before about these two rabbinical schools of thought. So let's go back and think about them. Shammai and Hillel. Let's say Shammai, Shammai, and Hillel. Hillel, okay. Uh, they debated lots and lots of things, but they debated the grounds for di divorce based on Deuteronomy 24. They debated what does it mean to find no favor, if it says if he finds no favor. What does that mean in the eyes of the husband? Oh, what does it mean when it says to find some indecency in her? What does that mean? Because it makes a big difference. And uh, the school of Rabbi Shammai was very restrictive. And the school of Shammai uh, took the view that the only thing indecent enough to give grounds for divorce was adultery. That's what, that's what it was talking about. Uh, it wasn't really in the plan from the beginning, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But it would be an extreme situation such as she has committed adultery. Now, that still doesn't deal with what about the man. It doesn't deal with any of that. The school of Rabbi Hillel took a much more liberal, loose view of these things. Anything displeasing to the husband was grounds for divorce, including anything unseemly. Now, it could be that she couldn't have children, and so uh, because she couldn't have children, but it could be almost anything else. Uh, and to the point that there were examples given uh, in the primary book of teaching called the Talmud. Let's say Talmud, okay? And in the Talmud, uh, it said, according to the Talmud, this central text of rabbinical teaching, it said, if the wife spoiled the cooking, Oh, wow. <laughs> or the husband found someone more attractive. It was just, just that. This was grounds for divorce. Well, f friends, you can see why Jesus was pretty upset. Women have virtually no right to divorce. There's one place 
that says that she could ask for a divorce if her husband engaged in a disgusting trade. That's the only one. And what would that be? It would probably be something like tannery, where she, he was unclean because of dealing with uh, animal skins, and then yeah, she and it smelled bad and all that kind of thing. No, you, you're allowed to divorce that fellow. Um, but that's the only thing that you can find in the Talmud about a woman having a right to divorce a husband. Um, so Jesus uh, looks at this horribly distorted and unjust system. And Jesus basically lays down the law on divorce. And you heard it a few minutes ago. He comes on strong. As I was studying this, it occurred to me, this is like the verbal equivalent of turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. He's like, I am fed up with this. We are clearing the decks and we're going to start over and look at things with a fresh eye. And you heard what he said. If Basically, if you divorce your wife except for the most extreme of circumstances, you are making her commit adultery as well as anyone else who might marry her. And then in another part of, the, of his teaching, in, in both the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, and if you remarry, you are committing adultery. And this is the stuff that sort of makes us cringe and wonder and try to figure this out. Why would Jesus come on so strong? And we have to start with asking, you know, well, who was Jesus talking to? On this occasion, um, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of ordinary Jewish people from all across Galilee, many people who had been victimized by this very system, by these rabbinical interpretations concerning divorce that so favored a a male dominance and male chauvinism, really, uh, that it, it, it... It reflected nothing of the heart of God and what he desired in terms of marriage. And perhaps some of the Pharisees were also listening in. They were were starting to hang out and listen in because Jesus was getting a lot of attention. Later, the Pharisees come asking some questions. And their questions aren't to find out more. They aren't trying to find out truth. It's to test him. Note to self... You can ask Jesus any question, but don't ask him a question that's meant to test him, really. Uh, It won't come well for you. But we find that in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. And I want to go through this because I think it's really, really important for us. It says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He's talking about this very teaching. That's what they were bringing. Another way to phrase that, if we just put it in different words, is, are you on the side of Rabbi Hillel, who says men have certain rights and they can demand what they want in marriage, and if they don't get it, they can dismiss their wife for any reason? Are you on the side? Are you a man's man? It's the way some might have even heard this. And so, to explain, Jesus revisited the origins of marriage. Let me explain to you. You ought to know. You of all people ought to know. He answered in verse 4. Have you not read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Let's go back to the basics, okay? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You don't have a right to separate what God has joined together. Jesus restated with strength this biblical definition of marriage that's found way back in Genesis. In verse 7, they came back with a little further question. Why then did Moses command one? to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Doesn't, that's not what he said. It's a twist there. Why did Moses himself build in a loophole for divorce? Just write her a certificate and send her away. And so in verse 8, he answers and he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart. Let's get to the basics here of what's wrong. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce, didn't command, allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That's not the way things started. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. If you get your eye on someone else and figure out a way to finagle to go marry someone other than the one that you married... You are committing adultery. So Jesus clarified several things in this uh, chapter 19. Uh, He said divorce was never in the plan of God for his children. It was never in the plan. It was never there. Divorce and remarriage, except for in the case of adultery, is adultery. And the only reason for divorce is infidelity. And Moses permitted divorce only because your hearts were hard. Now, we need some grace in here, don't we? Amen? Yeah. To help us grasp this and help us understand. Fundamentally, Jesus is saying the problem of divorce is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. I mean, if I were to state it a little bit differently, there's no marriage problem that God cannot fix if both husband and wife will surrender to God. It's not a matter of the wife submitting to the husband or the husband submitting to the wife. The key is actually in Ephesians 5.21, the Apostle Paul, and this is breathed by Holy Spirit, same God, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a central principle that we teach. If we can surrender ourselves to Christ... And then submit to one another. How many of you know uh, that marriage takes some giving in? Yeah, it takes some giving in. So what was Jesus trying to get across here strongly? In a few words, he was trying to get this across that God hates divorce. Now, you may have heard that before. In fact, you may have been hammered with that before. I don't know. You may have had that thrown in your face at one time or another. So it's important for us not to misunderstand this verse. God does hate divorce, but he does not hate divorcees. You should always just say that anytime someone says it. 
Well, you know, God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorcees. You should just, you should just say it. <laughs> and I believe that one major reason that God hates divorce is because he loves divorcees. And he knows how much it hurts. He knows how much divorce hurts people and how much damage it does in families, how much damage it does uh, in, in the lives of children. And that's one of the reasons why God hates divorce. The other reason is that divorce hurts God because he's part of the marriage. And so we have to read the whole section of Malachi. Uh, this passage in Malachi is notoriously difficult to translate. You'll read it and you'll put two side by side and wonder, now why does it say this, but it doesn't say it over here? So I want to read it to you in the ESV. And it, because the passage is, is, is really magnificent. It's strong, but it's magnificent. Malachi 2, uh, the end of the Old Testament uh, prophets. He says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? You're, you're weeping and, and you're in tears because God doesn't seem to hear your prayers. God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. And God doesn't seem to be receiving your offerings. Next verse. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? He's in the union. Isn't that's amazing? So we tear at something that he's part of. And what was the one God seeking godly offspring? And it's hurting the godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And then he says, and this is the way it's translated uh, in verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, dismisses her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Now that's the part that's hard to translate. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Do not be faithless. This is the call of the prophet. This is the call of the Lord. The translations vary from Malachi 2.16. The New King James says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Those words are not exactly in there in the Hebrew, but that comes out of uh, covers his garment with violence. It's an interpretation. The numerican standard says, for I hate divorcers. No, uh, the pronoun I, first person, is not in there. It's just not in there. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And New American Standard is a very good translation. The big point is that divorce does a violent thing to the union that God entered into. And he hates that. That's what we're to get. And that is why Jesus spoke in such strong ways. So, just thinking back to that image I shared before, when Jesus turned over the tables and cleansed the temple, why did he do that? It was to reestablish the sanctity of that place of prayer and worship. 
I mean, that's what he said. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He was, he was stirring things up. So why would Jesus make such a radical declaration about divorce? I believe it was to reestablish the sanctity of the first institution that God invented marriage. It's the very first thing. I mean, it was before church, it was before government, it was before a whole lot of other institutions. Marriage. And he was saying to the people in that day, and it echoes across to us, don't treat marriage lightly. Don't do it. In this case, Jesus could have said, my institution of marriage shall be called a house of peace, but you have made it a den of adultery. I mean, we... We could hear that from what he said. So, now we need to hear very carefully. Is divorce an unforgivable sin? Is it a scarlet D that you wear for the rest of your life and into church settings and you're viewed as and looked down upon and scorned and this sort of thing? Absolutely not. There's no place in scripture that says that divorce is an unforgivable sin. There's one unforgivable sin. And it's the sin of rejecting Jesus. That's it. If you reject Jesus all the way to the end, you can choose to go to hell if you want to. That's the only unforgivable sin. And sometimes uh, divorce is this painful reality. And we know that. It's not something that God invented or planned Sometimes divorce is a necessity. We can't find any other way. And because of especially the way another person is behaving, another person has made decisions, another person is acting, then it becomes a necessity, a really sad and painful one. It represents the brokenness of our human condition. It is a, a relationship so fractured that we finally give up on it. So he talked about remarriage and so that's another issue is remarriage the ultimate sin the scarlet r no and here's the sad thing is i've i've seen church settings where remarriage was treated as a scarlet r it's like no you can't serve you can't do this you can't teach you can't do that because you are remarried i mean i have to share with you i mean over my years of ministry i've had people come and they've you know, they'll come to church once or twice and they'll say, you know, we'd like to get married. Would you do our, our wedding? And I say, well, come and talk to me. And that's what I always say, come and talk to me. And so they come and, and I talk to them and they say, well, you know, we've gone to another church, but they, they won't do our wedding because it's a second marriage for each of us. I say, well, I need to talk to you about that. I need to understand how that happened. Let's talk. What happened? What did you learn? How, how have you dealt with that? And then, uh, in many of those occasions, we're able to come through and confess our own sin in that. And then we're able to, to bring a wedding. What's amazing is, often, they will go back to that church that would not do their wedding to fellowship. Isn't that strange? You should chuckle a little bit. It's the weirdest thing. But it happens. So, you know, is this the ultimate sin? The Apostle Paul actually dealt with it at length. We're not studying that right now. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about those who are unmarried and those who are virgins. And those are two different things. And those who are widows. So he talks about those 
who have gotten unmarried. The only way you can get unmarried is to be divorced. He talks about it. And he talks about how you handle that, how you handle those situations. We know that there are situations where people are abandoned. They may be abandoned emotionally and spiritually or physically. I remember counseling with a woman that I had met and she said, I haven't seen my husband in three years. I said, where is he? Well, he's somewhere around the country. And she said, should I file for divorce? And now here's what you need to understand. I can't make that decision. Only that person can make that decision. I've never advised anyone to file for divorce. But there's a point at which, and what I said is, you'll know. Pray. Well, I'm not sure. Then pray some more. Because you'll know, and that's the only way you can know. So we need to understand some of that. There is enormous grace for those who have been hurt and those who have been through these huge, difficult, worst trials imaginable. A Christian believer, though, who who divorces because they want something or someone else is pursuing adultery. And I've run into that too. I had a man sit sit in my office and and he's a Christian believer and he said, well, I want a divorce because I found somebody else. And I said, you do know that what, what you're, you're, you're saying you're, you want to sin, you're going to sin. He said, I know. I said, well, what, are, what are you supposed to do with that? He said, I'll get forgiven. Now, I don't, I don't pronounce judgments or give out forgiveness. That's, not, that's above my pay grade. But it occurred to me that you can't schedule God's amazing grace for a late age. And while you're quenching it right now, and it's trying to guide you, God's word tells us certain things. God, God's word guides us to, to find healing and to find hope for a marriage that we've entered into. And what he was describing was a quenching of the spirit and a searing of the conscience. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the spirit. I found it interesting, I was studying this this week, and, um, and I learned something, I didn't know this, but Judaism views divorce as an amputation. Um, the Chabad website that teaches everything about Orthodox Judaism says that the two are made one, joined by God, and that that's a mystery, that's what we believe. It's something only God can do, and so a separation they liken to an amputation, And what do we know about amputation? By the way, that's an antique amputation saw. It's kind of ugly, yeah. Well, we know it's painful. You would not choose it if there's any other way. It is a last resort. And so divorce needs to be a last resort. It's not the plan B that that we put in and we say, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just get a divorce. No. That's not how we approach things. And they said this, prevention is better than this cure. I mean, if you have a sick foot, won't you do everything possible to get the circulation back, get rid of the infection, do everything imaginable? I've never had an amputation, but I don't want to. And it's the same thing. And as I've worked with many, many people, it is, I've, I've likened it to, you know, tearing off an arm or something like that. It's, it can be very, very painful. So when is divorce a justified or permissible course of action? I mean, that's always a question that comes up. 
And people ask me, um, and I would start with when there is unrepentant sin, a continuing sin that, that doesn't go away. And it may be adultery, it could be any variety of addictions, uh, abusive behavior. Uh, I knew a couple and they were just a great, they seemed like a great couple and they loved each other, but he could not turn loose of gambling and he gambled and gambled and he lost everything and lost their house and everything imaginable. And she tried and tried and tried. And there's a point at which everything has been abandoned that was of value there. I've often told people, you don't have to divorce, you can separate. And it's so important to get safe. Amen. When there's abuse, when there are abusive things going on, things that are hurting the children, things that are hurting you. The second is that when your spouse has committed infidelity, it's not required. Some people say, well, I have to get a divorce because there was infidelity. Oh, no. I know some of the strongest marriages around that are strong because, not because of the infidelity, but because they work to overcome the damage and the hurt and the pain of infidelity. The third is when your spouse has abandoned you in some way. I mentioned that before. Maybe just that you don't know where they are anymore, but it can be an abandonment within the marriage. You work and you work to try to reestablish, reconnect. And when you've attempted every possible method to restore and to heal the marriage, I've told people, you've got to know when you look back, I did everything I, I knew to do. If there's something more I can do, please tell me what it is. I think we have to approach it that way. So what do we do about this in our life and culture? And number one is to commit to value the covenant of marriage as God created it. God created marriage. It, it, you know, people want to redefine it or re-legislate it. You can't do that. It's his. And you can't. So we need to support biblical marriage. Number two is and it's so simple, but it feels so hard, is to confess that divorce is sin. It's a broken point of failure. And sometimes I talk to people and they don't want to confess that this was sin. They say, well, it wasn't my fault. It was a little bit your fault. (laughs) Probably. I've never met one that wasn't a little bit. We participate in our misery, is the way I put it. And so uh, we want to confess that. And by confessing and saying, this is, this is sin, or this was sin, then we can move ahead. 1 John 1, 9. Why don't we read it out loud together? I love it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's not making a plan out here. Well, he'll forgive me out here. We need to listen to God right now. But this is saying, whatever's happened, how many of you know it's a new day today? We need to know that. And we begin and we start. All we can do is go from here. The third thing I would lift to you is to commit to love and care for divorced persons and those affected, hurt by divorce. We we really do this all the time. Many, many of the teenagers and children that we minister to are, are dramatically affected by divorce in their lives and their families. And so we are working with that all the time. But to make sure that we, uh, we don't treat divorce, a divorced person as a second-class citizen. 
Well, we, we need to listen. How many of you know we've all got some stuff in our background? We've all got some stuff that we regret. There's, we've all got some stuff we need to confess. Amen? And so uh, this has gone on. The church has handled this terribly historically to shun people who are divorced, um, to shame people who are divorced. I tell you, I've looked all through the Bible. Shame is the tool of the devil. There's, there's virtually no place that you can see that God even begins to bring shame. It, it is something that the devil brings upon us. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Of course, I love this, this verse. Why don't we read it out loud together? Ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the good news of the gospel. And then fourth is that we need to invest deeply in marriages. In our own marriage, you might say, well, I'm not married. Yes, you are. You're married to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. So invest in that marriage. Whatever marriage you're in, you invest in that marriage and in the marriages of those around you and refrain from encouraging divorce. We hear this all the time. You ought to get rid of that lunk, you know, get rid of her, you know, that. No. We're not to do that. Do everything we can to strengthen marriages. I think about the ways that people strengthened our marriage when we were young marrieds. And they would say, we think y'all, y'all need to go out. So we're going to take care of the kids and here's a little money and go out and have, you know, just the nice, nicest things to, to look around and see those who are struggling a little bit. Maybe help them to get to that marriage retreat or that marriage conference. Do everything that we can to invest in marriages. Now, I, uh, last week I, I wrote a prayer for you, and I did that again this week. So I want us to pray. And these are verses, a couple of them are verses that we prayed last weekend. But I think they are very much, they bring us to the heart of God, bring us near to God. And uh, so I invite you, if you'll go to the next slide, let's pray together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Give me strength and grace as I choose to honor your design for marriage that is revealed in your word. Give me wisdom to invest in my own marriage and in the marriages of those around me. Give me a heart of confession and repentance concerning my own failures. Show me how to care compassionately for those who are divorced or going through divorce. Open my eyes to see with your eyes those who have been hurt by divorce, that I may extend your heart and hand to them. Show me the path of blessing and encouragement that I may invest in marriage. In your name I pray. Father, I thank you for the direct words of your son, our Lord Jesus. 
that, that he, he didn't mince words. He, he expressed so strongly the value, the great value of this institution of marriage. Show us how to respond. Show us the way that we are to care, the ways that we are to invest. In Jesus' name, amen.